All right, everybody, welcome back. This is Didactic Mind, episode 75. Bloody hell, we're actually up to 75 now. Uh, hard to believe. Uh, episode 75, The Evil That Men Do. Very warm welcome to all of my uh, regular listeners from Podbean. A very, very warm welcome to all of my regular readers from the site. Uh, true pleasure to have you here uh, for the podcast. Uh, rather late on a Saturday night or Sunday night, whatever it is. I'm, dude, I've lost track of time myself um, due to all the stuff that I've had to do over the last few uh, days. It's been a stressful, busy couple of days for me, um, but I'm delighted to be uh, talking to you via the podcast, as always, even though it is getting quite late, and honestly, I'm bloody tired. Um, like I said, it's been busy. Busy, 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 and it's going to get a hell of a lot busier over the next few days for me. Uh, I won't go into details, but uh, let's just say that uh, <laughs> uh, vacation's well and truly over. Solid. Um I have to say, I enjoyed uh, the last couple of days. I was just basically playing Halo again. Um, I'm almost done with Halo 2. I finished off Halo Reach uh, last week and then blasted through Combat Evolved, uh, which is a bloody awesome game. I absolutely love playing Combat Evolved. And, uh, you know, now I'm on Halo 2, and that's just a miserable experience quite a lot of the time. <laughs> Halo 2 is so annoying for so many reasons. Um, it's just so frustrating. You just constantly die, even even if you're not playing on legendary. If you're playing on heroic, because legendary is just sadomasochism uh, in the Halo universe. I've played Halo Reach on legendary once, and that was enough. I never want to play any of the Halo games on legendary ever. It's just so. It, it really is just an exercise in pure masochism. Uh, but I, you know, hopefully in the next couple of weeks I'll have the, the full set done. I'm really, really looking forward to blasting through Halo 3, uh, as my favorite game of all time. Uh, Halo 4, I'm, I'm one of those weird people who really loves Halo 4, actually. Um, I, I do not agree with the majority of Halo fans who say that it was a weak game. I don't think it was. It's really grown on me over the years, and these days I, I absolutely love it. Um, it's my probably second or third favorite game in the entire franchise. So uh, that's what I've been up to, um, blowing shit up in, in Halo. Uh, but today, or tonight, or whatever it is, your time, uh, I wanted to talk to you about, well, talk at you, I suppose. We're not really talking to each other, but I wanted to talk to you about something that's been on my mind for some time. Um... Rito Veritas is a good friend of mine, actually. We know each other in real life. And, um, he has, he's, he's a really good dude. He's uh, a Christian, a very strong Christian, and, um, very, uh, deep in the faith. Much, he's a much better guy than I am, you know, by far. Um, yeah, which, by the way, isn't a very high bar to clear. <laughs> just just saying but uh he he really is a genuinely very good dude and he's been going through some struggles on on his side i won't give you the details but it's been a, a tough couple of years for him actually and one of the reasons he found my site and one of the reasons we started talking um about a year ago is because 
he was really grappling with this problem of evil and how evil men are and why evil seems to triumph so much of the time. And that's really the theme I wanted to talk about tonight. And it's kind of fitting that I start on this theme because last week, obviously, for us as Christians, well, aside from our Orthodox brothers uh, in the East, of course, um, we celebrated on Easter Sunday the day that evil lost. And that's interesting because that's, you know, just a few months after the day that evil ostensibly won. Uh, when we look at the fake election and the fake president uh, in the U.S. right now, who I mean, that was plainly fraudulent. It's not even hard to imagine or understand why that was a fraudulent victory. It's not like the fake Russia conspiracy theory that the Democrats have been pushing for four years that they try to use to explain the legendary victory of... Bear with me now. His most illustrious, noble, august, benevolent and legendary celestial majesty, the god-emperor of mankind, Donaldus Triumphus Magnus Astra, the first of his name, the lion of midnight, the chaddest of chads, may the Lord bless him and preserve him. That guy did not win because Russia interfered with the elections. That is ridiculous. The evidence proved it was ridiculous. The Democrats couldn't find evidence, even though they tried desperately for four years to find it. They couldn't find it. They tried to manufacture it. They couldn't do it. That's how idiotic their argument was. In On November 3rd, 2020, we saw actual massive fraud. Massive. I mean, the number of ballots that just happened to coincide with Joe Biden. Um, or that happened to swing the, the, the vote for Joe Biden in Pennsylvania, in Michigan, in Georgia, in, to some extent, Arizona, not quite as much, um, is staggering. Meanwhile, the states in previous elections that have been contentious in terms of voting systems, Ohio and Florida, not a peep. Uh, Trump's margin of victory in Florida was vastly greater than it was in 2016 against a much stronger candidate, by the way. I mean, I'm not saying that Hilda Beast is a good candidate. She isn't. She's, she's, I mean, to me, the Hilda Beast is the apotheosis, the, the, the essence of evil in human flesh. That woman terrifies me. I mean, insofar as evil in human form can terrify anyone or anything, that woman terrifies me. Um, but, when we look at the day that evil won, and it did win that day, there's no doubt about that. Look at what's happened since then. I mean, the country, the, the whole of the U.S. has gone to seed. It's, it's just the disintegration, the degradation in America as a nation in three months is shocking. And it brings to mind this issue that so many of us grapple with about evil. Why is it that evil exists? Why does it have such power over us, such influence? And why does it keep seeming to win and yet it never actually wins? This is, a, this is a problem that's been on my mind for some time. It's a problem that's been plaguing my friend Veritas for some time. It's why is evil so powerful? 
and yet so inept. Well, the, the, the powerful part is, you know, Veritas's take on it. My point of view is very different, or somewhat different. I look at it in terms of, you have evil, and it tries to tighten its grip, and tighten its grip, and tighten its grip, and then inevitably, it fails. Massively. Why is that? Well, the short answer is divine intervention. I'm going to go into the longer answer over the course of this podcast, but since we are talking about, or I am talking about evil and the dangers that evil poses, um, it's important to remember that you need to protect yourself against it. So if you haven't done so already, make sure you're using a VPN. And in that situation, you know, if you're surfing the web right now without a VPN, you, that's essentially equivalent to taking a shower while wearing a plugged in toaster at this point. Uh, big tech can track you. Big tech can find you. Big tech can figure out exactly who you are. It's not difficult. It can use your IP address to, to, to essentially divulge who you are and where you work. And if that doesn't terrify you, if that, if that, if, if Google doesn't scare you, Understand this. If Google knows who you are, Google can and will collaborate with people like Bank of America, like the airline companies, like the credit card companies to deny you funds, to deny you access to anything that you actually need. Bank of America essentially ratted out people um, who had B of A cards and used them to book uh, Airbnbs and hotels for the January 6th storming of the hill, mostly peaceful protest. And unlike the never-to-be-sufficiently-cursed hornalists and prostitutes of the mainstream media, that's exactly what, you know, that's what the evidence says it was. The video evidence shows that very clearly. Yes, there was violence. It was relative, it was actually quite minor. It's not like, you know, that idiot CNN anchor, whatever his name was, um, standing in front of a burning building with a a mob behind him, cheering and dancing and saying I want to be very clear here these protests are mostly peaceful what a joke what a moron I mean this is why I honestly think that we've come to the point now where you know if you're a journalist if, if, if people are journalists or going into journalism school uh, or want to become journalists, find another profession. I mean, you, you people are, you are enemies of the people at this point, and you deserve to be treated as nothing less than enemies of the people. Um, you are functionally illiterate, you are stupid, you are treacherous, you are genuinely evil, in my view. Um, and it's not just me saying that, I'm just, I'm, I'm saying that because that's what I really think. Um, and if you want to say what you really think, you need a VPN. So for that purpose, make sure you click on the link uh, in the description box for uh, affiliate subscriptions. Uh, I have a, an affiliate uh, deal with Surfshark, which will get you 81% off, 81% off, uh, for a two-year subscription to a VPN. And that will come to $2.49 a month for 24 months. Now, $2.49 a month is essentially the cost of a really, well, it's actually a lot less than the cost of a really bad cup of Starbucks coffee. Uh, if you are willing to forego one cup of coffee a month, which 
will taste like it's been filtered through a hobo's kidneys anyway before you even drink it, then why not put that money toward protecting your identity online so that you don't have to worry about things like um, B of A tracking you or Google tracking you or Facebook tracking you. In fact, if you're using any of those platforms, get the hell off them as fast as possible. And I'm saying that as somebody who still uses Google to some extent. I need to get off it myself. I know that. Start using something like ProtonMail instead. Start you know, Build your own site and uh, pay for your own uh, self-hosted WordPress or self-hosted site. You'll get free email accounts, as many of them as you want, potentially. So why not invest in it? Why not try to build something on your own so that those who genuinely are evil will just have a much harder time getting to you? And speaking of the people who truly are evil, well, why is it that evil seems to be on such a long winning streak and yet inevitably screws up, inevitably fails? Well, the thing, as I said, the, the short answer is divine intervention. Uh, I don't doubt that. Right? I, I don't doubt that um, at some level, divine intervention plays a big role. If you go back to uh, the Bible, and, and I, I try to a lot these days, what did God do to the Canaanites in the book of Joshua and in the books in, in the Pentateuch? Why did God basically say, wipe out all the Canaanites, slaughter them? I mean, he actually said to, um, to the Israelites, you will wipe out the, uh, let me see if I got this right. My knowledge of scripture isn't that good. Okay, so if I mess something up, it's my fault. But I'm just saying. Uh, he said, wipe out the Jebusites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Ammonites, the uh, Moabites, the, uh, not the Hittites. I don't think it was the Hittites. Uh, I'm missing, I'm missing one group somewhere. Uh, I don't think it was the Philistines at that point either, but there's, there's one group I'm, I'm sure I'm missing. Anyway, he said, wipe them all out, root and branch, destroy them utterly. Well, a non-believer would look at that and say, your God is evil. You know, he, an atheist would immediately look at that and say, your God is evil. Your God is advocating wholesale slaughter, genocide. Well, yes, except he's not evil in doing so. Number one, when God says, wipe out these people, you don't question God. It's not evil in God's eyes. Number two, you're missing a lot of context. And I know that's incredibly controversial. That's going to make people's heads blow up, explode. Yeah, okay, I get that. I mean, it would make, it, it used to make my head explode when I was an atheist. But reason number one is if you accept that God is true, if you accept that God is the truth, then what stands in opposition to the truth must ergo be false. Therefore, when the truth says, wipe out that which is false, you don't argue with the truth. So then you have to establish, is God true? And that's a whole another series of apologetic arguments. But once you come to the conclusion that God is true, because he is truth, you know, with a big T, then it's very easy to say, well, if God says, wipe these people out, it's not genocide, because it's not. If God says, kill this person, it's not murder, because it's not. He's got a reason for it. 
The reason is missing from the Bible, or at least it's not made very clear. You kind of have to do some reading to figure it out. But it's not that hard to figure out. The reason God said wipe these people out is because he gave them about 400 years to get a clue and to stop their pagan practices, which, by the way, involved human and especially child sacrifice. A number of the Canaanites worshipped, uh, you know, b- before the Israelites came along and wiped them out. The, a number of the Canaanites worshipped the god Molech. Uh, another number of them worshipped the god Dagon. Um, there's a post that I wrote some time ago called The Rage of Rome, in which I talked about a much more contemporary and well-documented and historically well-sourced example. I'm not saying the the extermination of the Canaanites is not well-sourced. It actually is. There is tremendous amount of archaeological evidence from what we know of as the Middle Kingdom period of Egyptian history. I talked about this um, in episode 73. Yeah, episode 73, which was all about the Exodus story. Because uh, I wanted to unpack some of the details about the Exodus narrative and, and look at where it is in fact true, and there's a lot of reason to believe that it's true. It's just that we're looking in the wrong time frame. That's why all the modern-day historians say, no, 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 it's, it's all fake, it's all fiction. No, it's not fictional, it's true. You're just looking in the wrong time. When you look at the right time, which is about 1450 BC, when, when you start looking in that time period, which is right around the time of the Late Bronze Age, uh, hang on, is the Late Bronze Age collapse? Uh, let me check that. I'm pretty sure it's the Late Bronze Age Collapse. Um, but basically, it's around about that time. Uh, I'm probably wrong about this, actually. Uh, no, I'm about right. Um, the Late Bronze Age Collapse happened um, towards the end of it's like sort of 1200 BC. Uh, 1450 BC uh, was a... There was a collapse, definitely. There was an actual collapse around that time. Uh, but the problem is that a lot of the chronologies are kind of mixed up because the chronologies of the region don't quite line up. Apparently, all the chronologies are set to match Egyptian chronology because that's the most well-documented one we have. But in order to make that fit, you have to introduce huge gaps into every other culture's chronology to make it fit into the, the, the Egyptian time frame. And there's a lot of reason to believe that we're off by a couple of hundred years in terms of Egyptian chronology. Uh, but anyway, if you look at the archaeological evidence from that period, you will find tremendous evidence of destruction on a massive scale throughout um, what we now know of as Israel and Judea. Um, throughout Jordan, uh, modern-day Jordan, and what, what used to be known as the wilderness of Paran and Zin, uh, throughout the Sinai Peninsula and throughout especially the land of Canaan. And what that amounts to is a massive campaign of conquest and destruction. So what the Bible is saying in the book of Joshua and in other places is true. It happened. Why did it happen? Why did this campaign of extermination take place? It wasn't just, you know, God was PMSing. He wasn't having a bad day or something. you know, forgive me for blasphemy, I, I, I admit that's not a very nice metaphor, but it's not that he was just like, it wasn't like he was just, it wasn't like he was uncomfortable sitting on his throne and decided to take it out on somebody. It's not like that. There was something behind it which motivated him to say, 
these people have to be wiped out. What was that? It was the fact that these people were committing human sacrifices. And this ties back to that post I mentioned, the rage of Rome. Why were the Romans so utterly hell-bent on exterminating Carthage? Why? The Romans were no paragons of virtue. I mean, let's be honest, the, the Romans had a lot of very messed up practices themselves. But they didn't practice human sacrifice. They didn't. They outlawed it. They did not practice the killing of innocents. They actually had incredibly strict laws against the killing of innocent people. They had very, very clear laws saying, you cannot do this. They, that's why um, centuries later, I mean, Christians, Christian writers, uh, Christian theologians regarded the Romans as virtuous pagans, noble pagans, uh, who understood God's law. Again, Romans chapter 1, it's right there. Literally, it's right there in black and white. Romans chapter 1, those who... Um, God has made his, his, his ways and um, his divine nature manifest in, in everything he's created. Horribly butchering scripture, I know. Uh, so they are without excuse. Those who ignore what nature tells them are without excuse. Well, nature tells us it's wrong to kill your own children. That's what the Philistines, uh, excuse me, not the Philistines, the Canaanites in general, the, the, non, the, the non-Israelite Canaanites were doing. Um, there are, uh, as I recall, Dr. Frank Turek talks about this on his cross-examined channel. He talks about the ways in which they did child sacrifice. Some of the some of the, the peoples of that region, they would actually burn an infant alive um, on a statue of Dagon. Like the the statue of Dagon would have like a, a big uh, altar or pan in it, holding up a, a big basin of some kind. And that basin, they would light coals under it and, and let it heat up to the point of, of like, until it was red hot. And then they would take a baby and they would put it on the altar and they would burn it to death. And there would be drums sounding you know, throughout the city to drown out the screams of that child as it was burned alive in the name of their God. That's what they did. That's why God said, wipe these people out. Because they had hundreds of years to repent and reject those practices, and they didn't. That's the nature of evil. And that's the reason why God sends prophets or strong men uh, and sometimes women, yeah, let's be fair, not often, but sometimes, to rescue his people. And it takes him a long time to get around to it because he's essentially giving the people involved every possible chance to take back their freedom, which is to say, to turn back to him. And most of the time they don't because, again, free will. If God intervened all the time, constantly, you know, just constantly stopped everyone from falling sick or dying or suffering or whatever, we wouldn't grow as a species and we wouldn't change and we wouldn't understand the nature of evil. It is thanks to that pain and suffering that we grow and change and become better. What's a good example in contemporary terms of that happening? Well, it's communism. That's the classic example. I just finished watching, um, re-watching The Death of Stalin. 
If you have not seen it, it, go watch that shit right now. It is utterly hysterical. I mean, it is one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. And the thing is, it's not, it, it's not like uproariously funny. It doesn't have a laugh track on it. It's not something, it's not like Hot Fuzz, which is just like completely bonkers, batshit, insane comedy. It is dark. It is black. It is, you know, bone dry. But it is absolutely hysterical. I mean, the, the performances in this film are amazing. Now, the death of Stalin, as you might imagine, looks at what happened when one of the most evil men in history died. And it looks at the chaos and the manipulations and the political intrigues surrounding his death. And it's an absolutely brilliant, brilliant film. And it, the funny thing is, I mean, as batshit insane as it is, the people who made it said that we actually had to tone down a lot of the stuff that was in there because if we told the true story, nobody would have believed it. It was so crazy. It was so bonkers. And that's absolutely true. I know some of the stuff, um, vaguely, not well, that happened around that time. It's absolutely true. I mean, for instance, like a simple example. Um, Stalin uh, recovers from his stroke, sort of. He, he regains consciousness, and um, this is just an absolutely hysterical scene where he's like he's pointing the shaking finger at, at, at a painting on the wall of a little girl kind of feeding a, a billy goat some milk through a horn or something. I don't know. I mean, and the, the the idiots in the presidium around him are basically making up all sorts of nonsense about. He's the, the socialism is, is the, the, the nation is the lamb and he is the milk and he's feeding us all. And meanwhile, Stalin is just like, you see him in the background. He's, he's, he's trembling and he's, and he's dying in front of them. And he, in the, in the film, he dies in a matter of hours. In real life, it took several days. I think it took, it took a couple of weeks. I could be wrong about that. I think it was a couple of weeks. Um, but he suffered a massive stroke. And he died agonizingly painfully. Uh, and during that time, the machinations that went on behind the scenes were absolutely nuts. I, I mean, it was crazy what happened back then. It really was. It was, it was just, it was beyond anything you can think of. Um, all of his deputies in the presidium were vying for power. Beria in particular was, I mean, the, the guy who portrayed Barry, I forget his name, uh, just go look for the credits in, in, the, in the film, um, I think deserves an Oscar. Like, back when the Oscars actually meant something, not the kind of woke shit fest they are today, but back when the Oscars actually meant something, he should have deserved an Oscar because his performance is superb. It is amazing how exactly right he captures the essence of Lavrenti Beria. Lavrenti Beria was a massive gamma. If you understand the socio-sexual hierarchy, you understand what a gamma is. He was the quintessential gamma, given tremendous power, and allowed, you know, all of his worst, procl worst proclivities were allowed to run rampant, which is why he was, I mean, he was an outright pedophile. Uh, and the movie does not gloss over that fact. It, it shows, I mean, thankfully, thank God, um, it 
doesn't go into details, but it shows very clearly what he was. He was a monster, and he richly deserved his death. If you look at the death of Stalin, and you look at that as a microcosm of evil, and you look at the, the way that the evil endures, it's interesting to note and understand why evil is so powerful and pervasive. I mean, where does that, where's the, 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 the title of this podcast come from, The Evil That Men Do? It comes from Mark Antony's speech in Julius Caesar, you know, Bill Shakespeare, of course. Um, uh, you know, the evil that men do uh, lives on. The good is often terrored with their bones. Uh, so let it be with Caesar, um, and so on and so forth. You know, I'm not going to do a full Marlon Brando, Char- Charlton Heston thing here. Um, I, I don't have the speaking voice for it, uh, but... You know, go watch the speeches uh, on YouTube. They're superb. Uh, some people prefer the Brando interpretation. Some some prefer the Heston version. I I I, I waver. Um, they're both amazing. They're, they're both phenomenally well acted. But go check it out. It's uh, it's great. But why is it that evil endures for as long as it does? It's because we are corrupt and corruptible, and we're very easy to break manipulate and twist. And evil endures because we essentially are too afraid to stand up against it. Who was it that said that, who was it that gave the secret to defeating evil? There's a great quote by a truly great man. Evil is powerless when the good are unafraid. Who was it that said that? None other than St. Ronald Magnus of the right. Ronaldus Magnus himself, Ronald Reagan, 40th President of the United States. The man who, uh, who waged a 40-year-long war against communism and won. He's the one, of all the people who understand how to fight evil, he, know, he knew best. Now, when you look at, again, you look at the death of Stalin and you look at all of the evil that that man did, and he was monstrously evil, you see the power that he has even unto this day in Russia. If you go to Russia and you spend time with the Russian people and you talk to a few of them, you'll realize very quickly that actually they, many of them, particularly the oldest generation, the older generation, don't view Stalin with the hatred uh, and the contempt and the loathing that the younger generation does. If, you know, they, they, they view him badly at all, because there's, it's complicated. The Russians have a complicated history with Stalin. Um, after Stalin's death, immediately afterwards, obviously, Khrushchev, uh, that's, by the way, that's how you pronounce it, Khrushchev, um, not, not Khrushchev, not Khrushchev, um, Khrushchev, uh, he's Ukrainian by, by, uh, was he? Ukrainian, I think. Um, uh, Khrushchev. Khrushchev, uh, was, I believe, from Ukraine. I, again, I could be wrong. Um, no, he's from, uh, Kursk. My mistake. Uh, it's, what's his name? It's, um, Brezhnev, uh, who's from Ukraine. Uh, he was, uh, Khrushchev was born in, uh, Kalinovka 
in uh, Kursk, uh, in Kurskaya Oblast. Uh, anyway, he delegitimized much of Stalin's rule. He, he tried to uh, basically de-Stalinize uh, the country. And, you know, rightly so. I mean, the country was absolutely brutalized by Stalin. Uh, go watch the, the, the movie In the Face of Evil. You know, very, very, very good movie. Phenomenal movie, in fact. It talks exactly about Reagan's war against communism. And it talks about the fact that uh, when the census takers came to Stalin to, to tell him about the population records of the USSR at the time, they said, um, by the way, the country is short 20 million people from where it should be. Uh, Stalin simply had the census takers shot for delivering bad news. Why? Because he was responsible for the deaths of those 20 million people through the purges and the famines and the uh, gulags and the forced incarcerations and the executions and the, the wholesale destruction of entire swaths of Russian society and you know, Soviet society. I mean, up to 10 million people died in the Holodomor, uh, the great hunger in Ukraine. By the way, if you want to know why evil endures, it is because evil has many mouthpieces. The press is one of those mouthpieces. My hatred of the media does not spring from thin air. It is not a recent thing. Walter Durante was in Ukraine in the 1930s. He saw the famines firsthand. He saw the starvation. He heard the rumors of people uh, killing their own children and boiling them and, and selling body parts uh, in the streets to survive. He saw and heard these things. And he reported back to the New York Times that everything was great, that socialism was working brilliantly, and that socialism was in fact a more successful system than capitalism. He indirectly bears the blood of those people on his hands. And the New York Times has never given back the Pulitzer Prize that he won. Now do you understand why I hate these people so much? Now do you understand why I'm the kind of person who says you should shoot communists in the street as a form of preemptive national defense? Like I'm that, I'm that harsh about it for good reason. That's why I'm so harsh. Because these people are evil. And you have to call out evil when you see it no matter what the cost, and it is terrible. Make no mistake, it is a terrible cost. That is the problem. Standing up against evil is difficult. It's, it's costly. It's not, it's, it's not cheap to be good. It's not cheap to, be, um, to stand against popular opinion. That's why Reagan suffered so much ridicule and contempt for decades. I mean, when he, when he became president, what did, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, somebody, Clark Clifford, I think it was, um, call him. He called him the amiable dunce because this was a guy who didn't have any foreign policy experience, didn't have a clue what he was talking about. He was just, uh, he, was, he, was, he was a doofus. He was a, he was, he was a bumpkin. He was some yokel from nobody knows where. Went to some no-name college. Um, has no clue what he's doing. He's just, he's jumped up Johnny, fresh off the, fell off a turnip wagon. Just accidentally won a 45 state landslide in 1980. He's, he has no idea what he's doing. Oh really? Okay. 
he went on to win the Cold War, which a bunch of uh, Ivy League asshats couldn't figure out how to win for 40 years. You know, the, 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 the guy who came from any town USA beat the evil empire. How did he do it? Well, firstly, he understood that exact phrase. Evil is powerless when the good are unafraid. And that's the key to defeating evil. You have to be unafraid to stand up to it, which is extremely hard to do. Extremely hard. Because evil is monolithic and terrifying. It's very, very hard to stand up against it. Why does evil endure? Because it has a hive mind. It has an intelligence of its own. Um, I've, I think I've used this metaphor before. I'm sure I have. If you look at uh, the Netflix series Stranger Things, you look at the upside down and you look at the entities that inhabit it. What are they like? Well, they're terrifying and they're absolutely lethal. And if you watch season three, which is the, the most disgusting and gory of all the seasons, what happens in that one? Well, the upside down's worst and most evil bit kind of seeps into our world. And it's very clearly a hive mind. And it infects other people with that hive mind approach. Genuinely very, very disturbing. Um, it infects them, it possesses them, it takes over them. Well, what does that remind you of? I, by the way, this is not an, an original observation on my part. Dr. Michael Heiser um, breaks this all down for you in uh, a series of videos. Uh, highly recommend them. Go look them up on YouTube. They're very, very good. And he talks about the hive mind nature of evil and how individuals standing up for free, uh, for freedom manage to destroy that evil. And it comes at a very high cost. The process of destroying evil is difficult. It is costly. It requires moral backbone. If you read a book called um, Hitler and Stalin, Parallel Lives by Alan Bullock, I don't recommend reading it you know, for a weekend reading because it's not weekend reading. It's actually a very, very big book. It's 900 pages long. It's an absolute bloody tome. Uh, I read it many, many years ago. And um, I've forgotten most of it. But uh, one of the things that stood out to me about that book is just how closely linked the two lives of these two mass-murdering tyrants really were. How evil... Um, kind of manifests itself in ways that are somewhat predictable. Inevitably, evil finds broken men who are more broken than most for whatever reason and takes hold of them. If you look at um, both Hitler and Stalin, I mean, uh, Stalin wanted to be a priest, I think, uh, but he came from a fairly, you know, hard knocks family. I mean, it was pretty abusive. Um, family, from, from what I understood. Hitler, you know, absolutely extremely abusive family. Uh, his, he had a, a complete, like, you know, bipolar parenting, um, system. His dad was, uh, an alcoholic who beat him, uh, and his mom absolutely doted on, I think, uh, his, his dad also beat his mom, and his mom absolutely doted on him. 
complete, you know, bipolar parenting style, that inevitably causes real brokenness in children. I mean, not of, not the regular brokenness, the, the kind that we all are afflicted with, but genuine, complete brokenness. The kind that produces, um, sociopaths and psychopaths, uh, eventually. Well, the thing about both of these men is that you can look at some of the things that they did, and I'm not justifying them, but you can look at some of the things that they did and say, that kind of makes sense. I, again, I'm not justifying it. I don't think it's right. I think these men are burning in hell, and they should be. I'm just saying that looking back at the way that they used power and the way that they leveraged the resources that they had, they did it in a very clever way. They did it in a very calculating way. And again, this is the power that evil has. It's very cunning. It's very calculating. And yes, evil is a real material thing. It's, you can, you can almost reach out and touch it sometimes. It's that scary. But it actually doesn't have power over you if you don't let it have power. And that's the beauty of it. That's the beauty of our faith, of the Christian faith. That evil doesn't really have power. All you have to do is stand up to it. All you have to do is say, no, I will not kneel. And it will try to destroy you. It will. It will absolutely try to destroy you in the process. It will try to force you to your knees and bow down and accept its privacy over you. It will take away everything you love. It will take away everything you hold dear. It will destroy your family. It will destroy your home. It will destroy your work. It will cut you off from everything you value. That's the power that evil has. Good seems powerless against it. And yet time and time and time and time and time again, throughout all of human history, we see the good rise up and destroy evil. And we see eventually that the lessons of that evil kind of stick. They, they, they stay with the people. If you look at Russia today, the Russians are not interested in repeating the same idiotic mistakes that the communists made. Russia today is not an imperialist power. It's not interested in, in land acquisition and resource grabs. It's not interested in conquering anyone. That's the fundamental mistake that the prostitutes keep making about Putin. They think that he's a bloodthirsty tyrant. They think that he's a mass murderer like all the people before him. Well, they're wrong. He is cunning, and he is ruthless, and he is dangerous, yes. But he's not a mass murderer. He's not interested in rounding up millions of his people and putting them in concentration camps. He's not interested in territorial land grabs. He is interested in beating the shit out of anybody who comes anywhere near his country's borders. Because, again, look at the last thousand years of Russian history. Where did every single invasion except one come from? The West. So, when NATO tries to mass troops on Ukraine's borders with Russia, what do you think is going to happen? It's like, it, it doesn't take a genius to figure this out. Eventually, the president of Russia is going to come in there with probably pound for pound the best land fighting army in the world right now and beat the crap out of anyone 
trying to take over his country's borders. And that's exactly what's going to happen. Russia didn't kind of acquire or conquer Ukraine. It could. I mean, it could just march right in and swamp Ukraine and, and destroy the entire country if it wanted to. It's not doing that. Why? Because it can't do that. It's not interested in doing that. It doesn't have the resources to do it, nor does it have the desire. The Russians are not imperialistic people anymore, if they ever were. Their leadership is not an imperialistic leadership. The, the lunatics running an empire over on the other side of the Pacific, uh, the other side, of, well, actually, on the other side of both the Atlantic and the Pacific, technically, from Russia's point of view. It's that big a country. Um, the, the idiots trying to run an empire into the ground are in the USA and in Western Europe. Why are they doing it? Because they're, they don't realize that they're being controlled by puppet strings. Um, that's why most of the leaders of Western Europe kind of sound all the same. They all say the same nonsense. They all believe the same bullshit. They all, they, they, they preach the same lies. Uh, diversity is our strength. War is peace. Freedom is slavery. That sort of nonsense. Um, you know, these are people who, it's actually hard for them to believe their own nonsense. That, I mean, they don't believe it, which is why they, when, when you look at their private lives, they act in, in ways that are completely contrary to the way that you, they want you and I to behave. Because again, that's one of the prerogatives of evil. It has its own set of rules. Um, the best way to the, the best way to to understand that is to look at uh, if you like Warhammer Forty K, go look at uh, the Chaos God Tsinch, uh the God of Change, the God of plotting and plans and the, the ever shifting forms. Uh, that's actually a very good metaphor for the the plans and schemes and craziness that evil beings have in their own heads. They keep coming up with greater and greater and greater plots, and their, their, their plots become ever more intricate and complex, and inevitably they end up collapsing because they can't support the weight of their own contradictions. Inevitably, it comes down to one simple fact. An ounce of truth will knock over a mountain of lies, and you cannot build lies on top of truth. Um, well, no, excuse me, no, that's wrong. You cannot build truth on top of lies. You can build lies on top of truth, but you cannot build truth on top of lies. Because to disprove um, those lies requires very little. But truth stands on its own. Truth stands on its own. You don't have to, you don't have to bother justifying it because it's true. So the moment you align yourself with what is true, you don't have to worry about whether you're right or not. You're always right. You're just that's what's true. It's, this is. This is what the evidence says. This is the truth. So if I say what is true, I don't have to worry about being wrong. It's a nice thing about being... It's, it's one of the nice things about looking for the truth. You just don't have to worry about it. It's like, you don't have to believe me. Just, you know, go, go over there and find out for yourself. You don't have to listen to what I say. Um, and that's the beauty of it. That's, that's the beauty of the truth is it, it can knock down eventually any number of lies. And that's exactly what happened with the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union was a lie built on top of a lie built on top of a lie built, you know, like it was, it was lies all the way down, like those turtles. It, was, uh, it, it is lies all the way down to the bottom. 
And the moment that somebody had the courage to stand up and say, that's a lie, to say that the Soviet economy is a lie, and to say that the Soviet economy is not capable of supporting itself, and, oh, by the way, if I unpack that lie, what else do I find? Well, there's a lie beneath that one that says that the Soviet economy is self-sufficient. No, it isn't. It actually depends on massive amounts of grain imports from the West just to feed the country, even though it's home to some of the most fertile land in the world. Oh, okay. So how about we just stop sending them grain? Guess what? That's exactly what President Reagan did. And it very quickly accelerated the Soviet Union's collapse. Now, this is remarkable considering just 10 years before Reagan did this, under Brezhnev, the Soviet Union reached the absolute apex of its power. I mean, to the point where, you know, the, the U.S. really ran scared of the Soviet Union under um, Gerald Ford and Jimmy Carter. Uh, particularly under Carter. I mean, the, the Soviet Union just... Carter just looked so hapless and, and feckless and useless. A lot of people say that um, Carter was one of the worst presidents the U.S. ever had. Uh, and I tend to agree with that. But the th there are some things that um, sort of redeem him. Not much. Sort of. Most people don't realize, for instance, that the deregulation that um, Reagan touted as one of his greatest achievements, and it was, there's no doubt about that, but it actually started under Jimmy Carter. A lot of the deregulation and uh, freeing up of price controls and all that, that started under Carter. And that's a fact. Um, a lot of the tight monetary policy that Paul Volcker brought to the Fed started under Jimmy Carter. Again, fact, just go look it up for yourself. It's not hard to find. Um, he was, he was hopeless, but he accidentally did some things right. Not much, but some. In order for us to defeat evil, well, what do we need to do? Again, tell the truth. It's not going to be pleasant. It's not going to be fun. Take, take steps to protect yourself. And I've outlined all of those steps before in many, many posts, many times. Make sure you are careful about what you do and what you say, um, where you say it. At the same time, you know, I, I mean, I have just lost all patience for accommodating people's illusions anymore. In real life, in online life, whatever, I just, I, I can't do it anymore. I can't, I can't say with a straight face, that governments are trying to protect us when they're plainly not. I can't say with a straight face that I believe that these stupid face diapers will stop us from catching a bug that 99.99% of us under the age of 55 who aren't fat asses will survive just fine. I can't say that anymore if I ever could, which I honestly I really couldn't. Speak the truth. Say what is true and accept the consequences for it because it's not going to be fun. I mean, you lose friends, you lose family, um, you lose support, you lose loved ones. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be... This is, there is a price involved for telling the truth. And if you doubt that price, or if you doubt there is a price, go look at every single prophet in the Bible 
what happened. Every single one paid a terrible price for what he had to do. Everyone. Culminating with Jesus. What happened with Jesus? <laughs> well, we know what happened with Jesus. He was nailed to a tree. He had nails driven through the nerve uh, endings in his wrists and into his ankles. Um, and that was after, by the way, he was flogged with a cat of nine tails that stripped the skin from his back. And after he had a crown of thorns placed on his head, which pierced his, uh, the, the skin surrounding his face, the skin of his face. And after he was beaten and mocked and humiliated. And by the way, when he was nailed to that cross, he was naked. We Christians depict our Lord as clad in a loincloth. He wasn't. He, he was, when the Romans crucified him, when they drove those nails into his hands, and when they nailed him to that, that, those, those big bits of wood, he was naked for the entire world to see. Just one, you know, one more bit of humiliation to add to all the other things that he had suffered. Because that's what a Roman crucifixion was like. It was the worst of punishments. It was considered the worst of punishments, which is why a Roman citizen could not, by Roman law, suffer such a thing. That's the price our Lord paid. So when you complain about the price you have to pay for telling the truth, just remember, he paid it first. And he paid more than you ever did. In terms of orienting yourself towards the truth, how do you do it? Well, I mean, <laughs> good first step, ignore everything anybody tells you that, that comes from the mainstream media because they're lying. Just accept as axiomatic, whatever the media tells you about anything is a lie. And then you've pretty much got a very, very solid foundation. <laughs> it's like, we know that these people can't be trusted. Um, to that, I would, I would add pretty much most academics in the humanities fields. Anybody talking about so-called man-made climate, so-called change. Um, anybody, uh, who argues in favor of diversity, anyone who argues in favor of open borders, uh, don't bother listening to most conservatives. Uh, there are some exceptions. Um, uh, if you talk to Lieutenant Colonel Tom Kratman, for instance, he's, I mean, he's very much a, a proper fighting conservative. You know, there are a few of them, quite a few, in fact, um, who will, who can and will stand up for themselves. But most political conservatives will run from a fight every time. I, you know, it's not me saying it, but just look at their behavior. What have conservatives conserved over the last 50 years? In Britain, if you look at the conservative party, the conservative party has actually been responsible for more tax hikes than the Labour Party was in the 90s. In the last whatever, however many years they've been in power now. Uh, about 10 years, I think, uh, maybe a bit more. Uh, the, con the conservative, quote-unquote, party in Britain is one of the, I think it is the world's most successful political party in terms of the number of elections it's won and the number of governments it's, it's um, held in its time, in, as, in its existence as a political party. 
and look at what it's conserved. Nothing. Britain is not a nation anymore. If it ever was, it's not a nation. It's not a, it's not a, a, a united nation anymore. It's splintering before our eyes. Same with America. What have conservatives conserved? Absolutely nothing. The conservatives who followed after Reagan haven't preserved a single damn thing. Reagan won because he was a nationalist. He loved the American nation and he fought for the American nation. And he did a great job for the American people in the American nation. Same with Trump. Why was President Trump the greatest president since Andrew Jackson? Because he fought for what was left of the American nation. That's another good tip. Orient yourself toward the nation. Your people. Find them and fight for them. That's what's going to get you through. That's what's going to help you fight evil. Don't be like little Benny Shapiro and the neo-Palestinians who sell out the U.S. every single time to show for Israel. Don't do that. Let the Israelis take care of themselves. They are great and wonderful people. I love them. Leave them to their country, which is a great and wonderful country. I've been there. It's an amazing place. But let the Israelis take care of it. America shouldn't get involved. Neither should anybody else. Orient yourself towards these truths and fight for them. And if you find that you don't have too many allies, well, don't be surprised. It's reality. Most people aren't going to stand up for the truth because it's going to cost them something. If you're willing to pay that price, pay it and be glad. Just remember that in there are consequences for not fighting for the truth. Just remember that. In 1933, when Hitler marched um, his army, you know, the, the newly reconstituted Wehrmacht, time over the bridges into, the, I think it was the Saarland, to begin the reunification of Germany, there was a significant nervousness among his generals. And Churchill, pretty much alone among all British leaders, said, we need to send somebody over there to intervene. Turns out, as declassified documents showed later, if the Allies had posted so much as a marching band on the bridges into the Tsarland, I think it was the Tsarland, I'm probably wrong, those armies would have turned around, marched right back to Berlin, and there would have been a coup to depose Hitler. Now, who knows if the next guy coming up would have been worse. I don't know. It's worth, you know, freaking yourself out about, but it's, who knows? It's just alternate history at that point. But that's the price that we all paid after that. That's the result of not standing up to evil. 45 million dead in World War II. 20 million of them Russians. That's the price you pay if you don't stand up to evil. Ultimately. It's far higher than you would pay for standing up to them in the first place. So on that cheery note, it is time to end. It's been about an hour and um, it actually flew by. This was a pretty quick podcast for me for whatever reason. Um, but anyway, I, I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I, I hope you learned something from it. Um, I try to impart whatever knowledge I have, which isn't much, um, on a number of subjects. And uh, Veritas, if you're listening, I hope you have found some comfort from this, um, whatever little there is to be had. Uh, because evil doesn't win in the end. Evil never lasts forever. Evil can be beaten just by sticking to the truth. With that in mind, 
Uh, please like, comment, share, and subscribe, and make sure you are subscribed to the site. Um, and as always, I wish you well, and I thank you for your time. This has been Didactic Mind number 75, The Evil That Men Do, and this is Didact signing off.